This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, November 10th, 2021, and my guest is the one and only Danny Wingett. Hi, Danny. How are hey. you? Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's coffee time. Yeah. I want to talk with you because you've been doing a bunch of Pixel 6 camera comparisons. And the one that really stood out to me on your channel, I'll link to it, is the versus the Pixel 5. You went back one generation to a, essentially a mid-range phone. Yeah. And so and you also did a lot of other camera comparisons recently. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that stuff. And uh, then we've got some news items to talk about, some new phones that are affordable. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what's your take on this Pixel 6 versus the rest of the world video? Well, I think uh, finally, I think we. I think that the problem is like we've just been waiting so long for like a flagship Pixel. It's been a while, right? They've been kind of yeah. mid-range. They've been kind of changing their stance on things. And it's finally we're getting something that's... Like that can compete with everything else right now. So I wanted to go back and look at Pixel 5 just because I know a lot of people still have that. They still love that device. Yeah. I was actually pretty surprised how close the images were in the daytime. I don't know if you, you just noticed that by looking at the video. It's kind of hard sometimes to see just exactly on a video comparison. But it's just the Pixel 5 kept up so well during the day, which we kind of expected, right? Like yeah. every phone yeah. right now is doing really well during the day, but the bigger sensor is giving a lot more natural bouquet. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of where... That's the nice thing. It's like I've basically so far really only compared it to the 5A because I've got all the pixels. It's just more like that's the most immediate thing I had yeah. in my hands. And I reviewed it. So I took the same photos around the same time of day. So I was able to kind of tell... And you're right. I feel that daylight, it's a wash. Yeah. Like, I actually even feel that the HDR processing on the 6 is sometimes a little too aggressive for me. I don't know. It's slightly different, it seems. But right. I could be wrong on that. If, I think that's because they're still tuning it with this new sensor. Yeah, and I think that's the problem is that all this software is meant to lift older, more terrible sensors to make them look am amazing that they just haven't tuned that yet. I think it's going to take them months to get this... Right, and use that computational photography algorithm and stuff they have to really match this 50 megapixel sensor. And I think it's just also that 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 binning also is probably something that they're not really compensating for at this point. So, and you know, I think that's fair. That's one of the most challenging things. I think part of the reason a lot of people ask me why have they done a 48 megapixel sensor like two years ago on the or Pixel Four or Five, and I think it's just because it's a whole new thing, like. Yeah. The manufacturers kind of provide you with software and APIs and ISP-based, you know, computational stuff that takes advantage of the pixel binning the way they design the sensor to be, right? right? So Samsung has a set of algorithms. Sony has a set of algorithms. And then, you know, OmniVision, I guess, who uses OmniVision sensors? Yeah, I, don't I, I don't think so. Anyway, this is definitely a Samsung sensor, right? Yeah. So I think, but but, you know, Google wants to do their own. So they have to kind of recreate that whole part of the pipeline yeah. from scratch. And I think that's where the, the challenge came. And if you look at Apple, the reason they haven't gone to bin sensors either is because they are, I think, in the same boat. They want to create the best possible experience. And right now, I don't think that their imaging pipeline, their expertise is saying that to them, we don't think we can do this as well yet. I think it's only a matter of time till we see 
high count on iPhone right. as well. Yeah, I think video plays a lot of part on the iPhone as well because their video is so good that moving to a higher megapixel sensor could kind of compromise that video quality and the noise reduction and things like that. So, I mean, that's what I've seen when I compare it to the, uh, the S21 Ultra and the iPhone is that you can see the the Pixel has a lot of potential, but there's a lot of mistakes in the processing, lots of color blending and weird HDR things that are happening. The incredibly long exposure time for nighttime is doesn't make any sense. You have this huge sensor and it's exposing longer than the Pixel 5. That doesn't make any sense. So let's talk about that because I think that's the thing that I've got the most problems with on photography on the Pixel 6 right now is the more the light fades, the more the HDR or the the night vision, whatever you want, night sight yeah. kicks in. And even if you don't select night sight, I feel like it's just like overwhelmingly bright. And I just don't like it. I just yeah. feel like it just looks like, you know, like one of those overly processed Chinese phone photos from <laughs> like, uh, you know, like a Xiaomi back before Xiaomi knew how to do yeah. what they were doing. Right. I can see that. I really like the the thing I found myself doing more on Pixel Six still now before I cracked it so I dropped <laughs> it from hip height and literally that curved oh. screen just literally smashed so I'm still using it that way but I found myself using just turning off night sight period yes and just using single snap only because that image processing tends to be the most natural it still has closer. some noise but um, I I I, f I prefer that imaging versus night sight. And so you know this is funny because this reminds me of another bunch of phones that you and I had our hands on that are no longer relevant on our limelight the the Huawei phones. Yes. As soon as they switch to that RYYB sensor, I never use night mode anymore. It's too much. Yeah. Like I felt that you know in some cases yeah I needed to stretch, right? Mm -hmm. But then the color, I would have to do a lot of editing to get the colors to look right yeah. on the end photo. But in most situations with a P30 Pro, P40 Pro, I would just turn off the night mode or not use it. And yeah. then the results would be pretty great. And yeah. I feel the Pixel 6 is the same way. I think night sight really helps on the ultra wide. Yeah. Um, because that's the one that suffers the most. It, de it definitely suffers the most, yeah. There's, I haven't done a lot of night sight with a telephoto. What's your experience being on that? Telephoto is, it's okay, but it's not great either. I think that's the problem is the consistency between all the different cameras. Um, it's, it's hard because you want to use the main sensor. You want to get the best shot possible. But then when you're trying to change to the other things, you have to kind of get used to a camera. And I think a lot of people that are normal, just everyday consumers aren't going to realize that. And then they're going to be disappointed with certain things. I think the biggest problem, obviously, is that the time of exposure. If you're exposing for five seconds, it, you have so much introduction of shake. And it just I, I, have, a, I have so many blurry pictures with the, the Pixel 6 yeah. Pro. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of... It's, I think... You know, don't let that stop you from buying a Pixel yeah. 6. I think in a year, we're going to, or less than that, we're going to get some incredible photography back to what we're used to, but even better. It's just, you know, it takes time. And I think that's totally fair. Yeah. I feel like um, the, the, the telephoto really delivers, at least in my daylight tests. I think a 10X. Yeah. Even though it's a 4X optical, it matches the 10X on the S21 Ultra, in my opinion, in most situations. I think they need to just put a circle for a 10X on, on the software. Just I because you could that. fool people easily, just go to 4X and then go to 10X. Even though it's hybrid, it looks really good. Even the 20X is 
quite good for what they're doing. Yeah, it's because you can see it kind of once it does the software algorithms, it sharpens things up pretty nicely. <laughs> so Google, if you're listening, uh, give us actually a three x, a five x, and a ten x on that screen. So point you know, like ultra wide one, two, three, five, a oh, four, five, six, and ten. Yeah. Five and ten. I think the four is natural. Four, yeah. I think the like, like reason I like three is because I do a lot of car photography now right. with my tech radar gig, and so two X is generally what I shoot at the most to get that kind of like less wide angle vibe, right? Yeah. Kind of like fifty millimeter equivalent. But then sometimes I want to punch in just a little bit, but not up to the up to the telephotos. So I shoot a lot with the S twenty one my photos for the yeah. cars. And it's the recording I'm pointing at it right now. The S twenty one. I set it to 2.9, right? Mm. Just because I'm trying to avoid that telephoto. Yeah. On purpose. Because that big main sensor is really, really good. It's way better, I think, at 2.9x than the telephoto is at 3x in most circumstances. So you, you don't you don't find the digital part No, of it to it's be a because there's so many pixels. Unless mm. you go in low light. Like if I'm shooting yeah. at night, then I'll switch to the telephoto because it even though it's a, a worse f-stop, you know, it still has a little bit better. Um, but I find that in daytime with enough light, Samsung's done a really good job. I think they started with the let, let's get let's give some love to the Note 20 Ultra, which yeah. didn't have the limelight long enough. It was one of my favorite phones last year, yeah. and you know, thankfully the S21 Ultra just just knocked it out of the park. But you see, if you see the progression of that 108 megapixel sensor from yeah. the S20 Ultra to the Note 20 Ultra, to the S21 Ultra. The Note 20 Ultra really nailed it. And then the S21 Ultra just slightly improved on that uh, in terms of processing. And I think that, you know, because of that, I think at 2.9x, I shoot at 3.9x on the Pixel 6 as well if I want to avoid the telephoto. Wow. Like, I think at 4x, it's fine because it's a 48 megapixel sensor and it's all, you know, kind of YS and it's been properly and everything. But yeah. it's getting to the point where any... Any telephoto that has a low pixel count, I try to, if I'm close to that zoom range, I, I find that the, the big main sensors we have with their optics that are better, sensors better, the, uh, also the, the shallow depth of field gives you a kind of a different vibe. Hmm. It's interesting. Play with it. Yeah, because I never even thought of doing that because I feel like the loss. You know, when you're at 3.9 versus 4 or 2.9 versus 3, like moving two feet, forward or back if you have that room just gives you a pretty much the equivalent right in terms of focal length um play with that it's interesting it's not always right sometimes you're like Ugh. but yeah. if there's enough light um those big especially with the s21 ultra which is switching from 108 megapixel that doesn't just do binning at three at three point uh, 2.9 x it actually you know when they only really use the binning in low light they actually do use those pixels when you zoom in they do an intelligent zoom it's not as intelligent as the pixel zoom yeah but they do some sort of intelligent zoom kind of like the 808 PureView used to do in the nokia 1020 where they weren't doing binning for zoom but they were kind of interpret like creating sub pixels from the pixels that existed it's, i think we're seeing that yeah. it's like the difference between the mi 11 which doesn't have a telephoto but has a yeah. 108 megapixel sensor and some of the cheaper xiaomi's that have a 108 megapixel sensor that it's the same hardware, but the software algorithm is different. So they do a dumb, you know, pixel bin than digital zoom. Yeah. And it looks like crap. Yeah. Or they do a smart, like, algorithm that uses the 888 properly. And then it looks really good at, you know, 2.33x, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's been my experience. But, you know, compared to the 5, obviously, you, that's where I think you kind of get the big, the big win. It's like you, you punch into 2x 
on the six and it's way better than 2x on the five. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah. I mean, the super zoom, or whatever they call it, is pretty good. That algorithm they use where they use the handshake. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think that's what I mean. I think Pixel 6, man, is that's that's why I'm looking at it now. Is Pixel 6 is so good right now, especially with that price and everything. But going back to S21 Ultra, let's at least give Samsung some credit that that phone is quite old in terms of, you know, how we look at it in tech. But that thing is held up incredible. It's still one of the benchmarks for all smartphone cameras right now. So everybody wants me to always revisit, oh, what about against S21 Ultra? We're about to get the new, you know, S21, know. S22, and people are still referring back to this. So got to give it credit. Yeah, we're going to talk about the rumors in a second, but I 100% agree with you because if I have to take one phone with me, if I don't, like I always have a million phones, but if I have to take one phone for video, for both video and photo, yeah. that I know will do the job every time, S21 Ultra, yeah. because the versatility, like, you know, for me, it's like, I use this phone, uh, we're recording the show on it right now. I'm using this phone to do my car, my in-car videos. I mount it on the headrest, you yeah. know, with a kind of a clamp. And I do the ultra stable mode, you know, where it's like using the ultra wide yeah. and then cropping the video the in steady. real time. It's super yeah. steady and it's rock solid. Like I go over the worst bumps and it's like, it's better than any GoPro because you get HDR, you get all the, the benefits of having that, that, yeah. you know, big sensor. And then the telephoto choices give you all that flexibility. Oh, yeah. The ultra wide is much wider than the Pixel 6 ultra wide. That's the one thing. Yeah, it's the pretty... Pixel 6 ultra wide, it's okay. But I think that it falls apart much faster in both uh, its, its width and yeah. its uh, low light performance than the Samsung sensor. The field of view is just not, I feel like it's just not acceptable for today's ultra wide. Because you, I mean, even though you're getting some distortion and stuff, that's what you expect from an ultra wide. So it's fine if you, I think their, their aspect was, okay, we don't want to introduce too much of it, but that's what people expect out of an ultra wide. They want to capture the most. So what about versus the Pixel 5 ultra wide? Have you compared that? Yeah, I don't think like uh, the Pixel 5 ultra wide is a little wider. Yeah, and it's a yeah. 16 megapixel, right? Right, Which so is a bit quality weird. wise, I don't see a huge difference, but it's just to me, ultra wide field of view, just because Google's algorithms are quite similar between all of them. And um, the ultra wide naturally just, I mean, just on the comparison alone, looked better on the 6, but it's just on the 6 Pro, but it's just, I, it's the field of view that I care about, I think, when it comes to ultra wide. Because I don't think a lot of people are going to choose ultra wide at night anyway, unless they're taking an actual photo. Ultra wide video at night, I don't think it's being used as much. At least I would figure it. I don't no. use it that much. No, you're right. I mean, that's yeah. actually, I've had some phones in my hands that had a really high pixel count ultra wide, like the Mi 11 Ultra that have 48 megapixel ultra wide. And it's, it's a night and day thing. All of a sudden you, you want to use it at night. Yeah. Because, you know, that's the thing. We're not using it at night because we see the results. Yeah. But if you have the tools to do it, like all of a sudden, it's just like it changes the game. It's yeah. like I want to see a – like I'm I'm not mad that they put the 48 megapixel on the telephoto, but I kind of also wish they put a 48 megapixel on the ultra wide. And that way yeah. we could get big binning at low light and it would look better. Yeah, I think in future iterations, we'll see some different things there. But Pixel just, 9 at this point. <laughs> because yeah. Pixel... Who knows? They could change their mind, you know, next iteration and go back to something else. It's so just that like Google. Google moves so slowly. I don't want to be mean, but like, 
I'm kind of super happy with what they have. If they keep what they have right now for the next two or three years, I think it's fine. I think it's fine um, too. I just want to see. I just want to see a better ultra wide. That's yeah. Well, at least the Pixel Six, Pixel Six Pro. The good thing is the video is so much better this year. It's so, so much better. Hundred percent. I find that. I mean, I don't. You know, you're a pro at video. That's what you do. Uh, you have a YouTube channel. I too, but I don't. I don't focus on the quality as much as you do. You shoot at 4K or whatever, right? I do 1080p still. So I don't notice, but I, I, I have, even I, with my, you know, uh, non-experience in video, I've noticed the difference. Right. It's a huge leap from Pixel 5 um, because Pixels in the past have just been awful at video, just terrible, unusable type of video. And um, just comparing them both is just night and day. It's just... it. Obviously, needs to be worked on. Mm -hmm. um, just uh, the way that it's calculating metering and things like that. I always look at the iPhone as the benchmark because that's it what the, that's what the iPhone does really well. It it uses good noise reduction, but it doesn't uh, tear up the details, and it's really good at metering as well. So, like if like even fireworks, it's really good at metering when it's super bright, and when it goes back down, you don't get all this noise back into the sky again. It's a very good algorithm that they use. So that's where I saw Pixel Six Pro kind of falling apart. Is same thing with Galaxy S twenty one Ultra. It's the same thing. Samsung needs to work on nighttime video and nighttime performance. I think the sensor is there, all that stuff is there, and they've been tuning it over time. But it just, it's still no match for the iPhone. I think that's where it kind of wins this video department. Win iPhone hands down, always. 100%. And I think that's why, you know, I'm about to upgrade my iPhone 11 sitting in front of us doing a backup audio recording right here yeah. to a 13 Pro. I, I didn't get the 11 Pro at the time because I felt like, you know, the 12 Pro was starting to be quite the, the right thing for me. Yeah. And then, especially the 12 Pro Max, but it's so big, I'd rather just go for the the smaller but then didn't have a sensor shift so now with the 13 pro i'm probably this is probably where i'm going to spend the money for a new iphone but this 11 i have is all i do all my youtube videos for my channel a lot of people ask me why you use an iphone and i'm like because look i could pull out one of my sony cameras i have like uh, an rx100 mark something i have and the problem is that it's just so much more convenient for me to use an iPhone. For me, that's why my entire workflow is on phones. Like people ask me, why don't you shoot with an Alpha 7 or something when you do your camera photos for the for the cars? I'm like, for the quality of the web, I don't really need to go to an Alpha 7 and I get the versatility I need out of a phone enough nowadays with S21 Ultra, Pixel 6, iPhone, whatever. Uh, even, even some of the non, like, Top phones are still really good. And of course, Huawei, if I really want to go dig in my box, right? <laughs> but um, the point is that this iPhone right in front of us, it does great audio. That's why I'm using it as a backup. But more importantly, I'm always blown away by the vi the video quality. And with tools like Filmic Pro, which I use, oh, yeah, I use Filmic great. Pro so I can set the white balance and set the exposure. Because you know, when you do unboxing or oh. any kind of product video, you're going to have like the screen pops on and it's overly bright when it boots, yeah. right? And then everything goes to hell. Your hands get dark. And, and then the worst is the white balance. It's just the white balance shifts all the time. That's what I want to see on the iPhone because Pixel 6 Pro has it, obviously. Yeah. Like that white balance and uh, exposure slider is so great. They need something like this on iPhone. One thing that I would like if Google's listening is, and I've had this problem with Pixel. So I do a lot of my non, like if it's not cars, if I'm, when you, when you uh, read my reviews on like hot hardware, I do all my phone reviews there and you see the photos I take, they're all taken with Pixel. Mm. But I have to color correct them because 
even Pixel 6 lets me set the white balance, but it's not for, I can't set it universally for this session. Yeah, it's yeah. on a per photo basis. So at least now I can correct it kind of in the ballpark by hand every time. But I'd love to set the slider once and until I turn off the camera app, that it stays at that white balance. Like, no, I'm not even asking for manual controls because I don't really need a manual mode because I want to benefit from all the HDR and the, and the image and the computational stuff. Yeah. What I want is just set the white balance, set the exposure, like auto um, exposure lock and white balance lock. That's all I need. Yeah. And then once you give me that, I can do product photography all day long because I usually do product photography at 2x again. Um, on the old pixels, I would lose a little bit of quality doing that. But on the new pixel, I'm noticing it's it's... Quite a bit better Much at better. 2x. And then, you know, I generally have enough light, so that's not an issue. But the biggest problem is that depending on which angle I, you know, I've got the phone set up on a surface, usually I try to use natural light and natural background to get the nice bouquet. Like my kitchen has these shelves with books and stuff. It looks really cool. And But the thing is, depending on which angle I'm shooting, the white balance changes or the, uh, yeah. the exposure changes. So, of course, you're going to say, well, I'll use a real camera. And, and I, I did that for a long time. I have a, an old Sony NEX uh, you know, the alpha uh, E-mount that I use all, uh, for that. Um, but the problem is that, you know, again, with that, it's it's heavy after a while. My hands start shaking a bit, you know, because I'm, I'm shooting for half an hour. And and with the phones, it's lighter. And also I can transfer things easier. That's the last thing. I just, I know it's trivial to put out a SD card and put it in a laptop, but I'm just so used to the workflow. It just goes to Google Drive and I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about like, I'm on a trip right now, which... And I've got to write a story for Tech Radar. Which phone did I shoot that car with? Well, I know it's the S21. But if I didn't have the S21, I left it on my desk. Yeah. My phone, my pictures are all on Google Drive. I don't even have to think about it. Yeah, no, it's Google cool. Photos, I mean. So I, that's the other thing. Give us a camera, Sony. Oh, well, we can talk about the maybe the uh, <laughs> the Xperia Pro-I. Man, I was, I I was so, life. yeah, I was I was upset because a lot of people had it. And I was like, man, this, this, the. It's not the first one inch sensor, right? But no. it's just, it's exciting because Sony makes all these sensors for everyone else, but their processing is just on smartphones is just the worst. I don't understand how, what, what disconnect there is with engineers or whatnot, but I man. think there for a long time, and, and I have this off the record on good authority that for a long time, they didn't want to step on their alpha business. I guess, but that. now they're really understanding that there is a way to be in there in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing, I think with Xperia 1 Mark III, you know, Mark 1, 1 Mark II in 2020, with 20, 2020 was a year where something clicked at Sony because the, the 1 Mark II and the 5 Mark II and then the 1 Mark III and the 5 Mark III, which I haven't played with, and then the Xperia Pro and Xperia Pro I are all from that new mindset of like, we are going to start to incorporate some alpha technologies that could step on our alpha products somewhat in these phones because they're completely different use cases, right? Right. And they understood finally that nobody in their own right mind is going to pull out a Sony Xperia to replace their Alpha 7. No, not at all. But the RX100 business is not going to go away either because you still get a better lens and you don't crop the sensor enough on RX100, right? The RX100 sensor on the Xperia Pro I is cropped to 12 megapixels. I don't mind. Because of Z depth, they had to, you know, because the lens had to be, the phone has to be thinner. They had to kind of, you know, put the lens closer so they crop a bit. Fine. You still get all the benefits. In fact, you know, Nick uh, Gray and I were discussing this yesterday here in New York because we're all together in New York for, for an event. Like, 
we were discussing that and he said, well, what's the point of them cropping it? I, I want the whole, the whole nine yard. And I'm like, well, but look, do you want a phone that's going to be twice as, that has a camera bump that's literally twice as thick as the phone? Especially that phone is so slick and sexy. It right? looks nice. Yeah. So I, he said, yeah, I do. And I'm like, well, I think that's not what most people would want. So that's why they did that. And, and I said, you still get the benefits of this large sensor and the creamy bouquet and the fact that they have a variable aperture, you know, that's a must on the big sensors. That's where I'm happy about because we just, you need that. And, and props to Samsung for doing that first and then just not, and then dropping it. it. You should have just kept moving with it. It's kind of like the iris <laughs> scanner thing when they drop that, right? Cause they imagine in times of pandemic, like that could have been like, we're, we're, we're saving you right now. You, yeah, the mask on, everything's great. But it's just kind of what happens with tech, you know, if people don't gravitate to it. But I think that's what's happening now. Large sensors definitely need the variable aperture. It, it's necessary. And yeah. and I think what you said is correct because Samsung is – or not Samsung. Sony's really looking at how, like, they don't want to step on their Xperia business. But at the same time – or their Sony Alpha business. But they're, it's meant to work together. Like the way that now they're making it easy for you to use it as a monitor now and yeah. all these different things. So it's meant to be a compliment. So when you don't have that mirrorless with you, you're, you're familiar with that camera experience. But then when you have them together, you can use them together. So it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. And, you know, realistically, Sony knows that eventually the RX100 business is going to go away. I think it's inevitable. Yeah. I think it's going to stick around for at least another decade, no doubt. But I think it's inevitable. What I want to see Sony do, though, I want to see an Alpha, like the Alpha 4 that just came out. Alpha 7 S Mark IV, I think, whatever it is. No, the, the A7 IV. Yeah, A7, no, that's yeah. what I meant, right? The A7 IV. I want to see that with literally Android running in it. So I can literally install Google, you know, photos and upload. Like, how close can we, like, here's a good example. The Pro I, the Xperia, has a Bions X in ISP yeah. in it. So it has both the Snapdragon 888 and the Bions X. And as they said, that some of it is done by the 888, but most of it is done by the Bions uh, X chip. So, People ask me, what's the benefit of having the RX100 sensor in that phone if it's cropped? Well, you still get the Bions X processing, their ISP processing. You get the 60 frame per second eye autofocus, the 20 frame per second still shooting. All that is only possible because of their ISP. The Snapdragon 888, there's really no software right now that can run on that, that Sony, Sony's expertise cannot run on that, on that chip yeah. yet. We're seeing that a lot, like the Vivo X70 Plus also has its own ISP. So we're seeing that a lot. But yeah, no, I'm really excited about Sony's direction on where they're going because they need to be a competitive player in this game. I think the the way that the, their knowledge and everything that they have right now with their mirrorless cameras, because their mirrorless cameras right now are Incredible. really hard to beat just because yeah. they, they price them very well. And just, I mean, that's what I shoot with as well. So I shoot with an A7S III. And I, I just, think everybody I know now, there's a lot of people went from Panasonic and Fuji to the Sonys in the last few years in the YouTube world. Yeah, right? Everybody else is doing great. Canon's got some really, that they've kind of made a comeback as well, but it's just... I don't know. Sony's got a lot of expertise. If they can get it correct, they're going to be. And plus that it, it's another thing with Sony's approach for me is that they're, they're very heavy on the pro push on, you know, like shooting in brawl and stuff like that, but they have to get a little bit more consumer friendly with their camera software and not hide HDR where you have to put it on as a separate so thing. And it's just, it's they're learning. The yeah. Xperia pro I has a base, has only one camera app and has a basic mode. Okay. So when I say for photos, yeah. there's two more camera apps for video 
They have the pro video crazy one with the yeah. Cine Alta Which settings. I like. yeah, that's and then they cool. have a consumer friendly video app. Okay. Um, that's, that's more sophisticated than what you can get in basic mode on the camera app. But the basic mode on the camera app gives you HDR, gives you basically the same behavior yeah. as a Samsung, a Pixel, an iPhone, a uh, full auto. And still lets you select the aperture manually. There's a little button in the corner. So it gives you manual control of the aperture, even in the basic camera mode. See, that, that's, and that's it. That sounds exciting to me. Just because, not because I can't do that. Because I'm not, maybe this is a demographic they're trying to hit is somebody like me that, that, that can manipulate these things. But there's a lot of people I think that will look at that Sony and be like, Oh, I want this. But right. they pick it up. They're like, this is nothing like what I've used before from Samsung or mm-hmm. Apple. Like I'm completely confused. And so, you know, the, 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 the dial on your alpha camera your a7 yeah that dial exists as a sli- as a slider on the on the ui on the left and it basically goes from basic which is that mode which Bridget starts with to auto which is the, exactly a replica of the auto mode on the rx100 to um m or no to uh i think uh uh, uh shutter priority s and then they don't have an aperture priority because you can't and yeah, then they right. have uh they have uh, an m mode and they have an S, another S mode. I think it's, I don't know, it's S in another letter. And I think it's like, it's, it sets, it lets you pin the ISO or something. Anyway, it's, it's basically what you're used to on an RX100 or an Alpha 7. It's, and it's nice because the interface changes with it. And when the interface is in the Sony modes, it looks and feels like the, almost like the touchscreen on, on an Alpha, on an A camera. Oh, that's, that's cool. So, so they did that on the Xperia 1 and Mark 3 as well, but they yeah. didn't have that basic mode. And that basic mode is just, you know, they had a separate camera up completely. And uh, the other thing that the, I, th- I have to test this because I haven't yet, but I think that the slider for zoom now does the whole range of lenses in one shot because okay. the previous experience, they treated yeah, that- each slider for each lens. Yeah. So you, you had to switch manually to the telephoto and then slide zoom on that. And then switch like, you know, whereas on an iPhone or a Samsung, you go from the ultra wide to if you slide by hand, you, it switches lenses for you and yes. tries to stay consistent. So they, they fixed a lot of these. And I think all that came from feedback that we did as reviewers. Like I remember having that conversation when I reviewed the Xperia 1 Mark II with the Sony engineers, um, you know, uh, whatever product people in their briefing, I said, you know, next time you need to do this. And they're like, oh. I'm like, because that's how people use their phones. Yeah. Pick up an iPhone and try it out. You'll see it. That's the standard way of doing things. And I'm like, I know it doesn't kind of fit in with the alpha way, but maybe yeah. you can have either separate apps or having a mode or something. And wow. that, I yeah. mean, that sounds all, it sounds exciting to me. But I'm um, going back to that real quick before we move on is just, I, I hope they don't bring, the reason why I hope they don't bring Android to the alpha cameras is because just the stability of Android could, could, introduce a lot of bugs to the uh the mirrorless market and the, yeah. the, the concept sounds amazing right because we had that with samsung before and i wish samsung would have kept pushing that because that that galaxy camera idea was it's so cool for creators and so cool for people that are in the android ecosystem but we know android and we know the, the instability of android and if that it, let's say the system crashes while you're recording or something locks up and bugs that can't happen when it comes to a professional camera. 100%. And I also feel that Sony wouldn't be the ones to know how to do this properly. Samsung at least had the expertise that if it had stuck with it, I think they could have made it make it work. Right. You know, you've got a Tesla. Yeah. I have a Tesla. I kind of see it as the same. You know, sometimes your computer crashes on your Tesla, but the car computer still works. Yeah. Like you can still drive the car. The autopilot still works, but the screen just locks up and you reboot yeah. it with the two buttons on the screen. 
I know that's not even acceptable for a professional camera, but I'm yeah. saying that if they could kind of separate so that it's just literally driving yeah. everything else in the camera, it's just a, it's just an interface, right? On yeah. top of, and so that you can still use the camera, then dials all, everything still, still work. Just, you know, you might not see the screen for a second. You can reboot yeah. that part. Like I'm exaggerating, but even that would be more like a solution to me. Although for a professional, they don't want to wait for something to restart. But I think that, I feel like maybe it's, I don't know, maybe then just integrate Google Photos somehow. Like get, get work with Google so that you can get, since you already have Wi-Fi on the camera, yeah. you know, a UI to enter your login password with 2FA for Google, yeah. and then Google Photos works. Could, or even Drive. doesn't have to be Photos. Put it on Drive. I don't care. Because so, Sony Imaging app is... I know that's what I'm saying. Terrible. It's 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 absolutely awful. So I mean, no, I, I mean maybe what that's what what could happen is maybe it can replace the RX100 line with something like that because if it's a different product category, I think it could fit. Oh yeah, it would be pretty that's a awesome. Good idea. Because so instead yeah. of like the I mean, we don't want to touch the Alpha Sevens or yeah. whatever, but no. maybe the RX100 or the ZV line, the ZV1, yeah, the creator type phones where you huh. can you can stream to your phone or you can hit record. Can you imagine using voice commands to to start recording, oh you know, and things like, like that, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, you can have it on a ledge and you could be doing it and be like, hey, you know, hey, Google or whatever, record, and then it'll start doing it. And then you're just, you're controlling with your voice. That, that'd be so amazing because then you don't have to have that second person just make sure it's recording. Oh, my God. Or, cool or, or, you know, uh, like Samsung did with the S Pen. Yeah. I think this is a good segue. Yeah. Right? Talk about the S22 rumors. Yeah, those are man. Like, it kind of came out of nowhere with the renders to like last week. I think I I think this is really good looking. Like, I it reminds me of the velvet. Yeah, I like the I like the the camera bump is much less pronounced. I think people. I think there's gonna be two people. They're gonna be like, up. Oh, I don't like this. This is not enough for me. This is trash. <laughs> or people are gonna be like, okay, this is refined because we're not expecting Samsung to put out something crazy this time. I think just in this cycle, I don't I don't expect anything like mind-blowing but at the same no. time it's it's a it's a refined look and also having i think the biggest thing is having the s pen integrated into the s line now and kind of killing the note line i would say kill it but it's basically just merging into yeah. the s line and it's that's a that's a neat thing for me i think i don't think they really needed two product lines they they got way too close yeah so i will link to a story here from android police i mean there's many but you know, I just, that's where I found it, where you'll see some photos of the uh, leaked photos of the S22 Ultra. And like, these are real. Like, I don't think these are fake because they're looking so close to production. And so yeah. the, the camera pod is not a pod. It's just individual rings that are slightly raised, much less of a bump. But if you've seen the velvet last year, the, the LG phone, it had like that raindrop, they called it, where each lens was basically protruding individually slightly from the yeah. body with a little ring around it. That's the design they're going for. And they have multiple, they have like five, like three big ones and two small ones or something yeah. to get all the lenses. And so if you look at an S21 Ultra today and you kind of like flatten the bump part out, but keep yeah. the lenses sticking, that's basically what it would look like. And then the S Pen, I think is, there's clearly an S Pen silo and an S Pen pulled out of that phone. So to me, that's actually the best of both worlds. I, I'm not a Node user. I don't care about the S Pen. Yeah, same. I don't use it much. I think so many people do. And I've always felt like, especially with the 
like that year of the S20 and the Ultra and the Note 20 Ultra. Like, I think the Note 20 Ultra was the better phone in many ways, even though it only had one telephoto, because it just was better sorted and it looked better, in my opinion, aesthetically. And I feel like, like now we get the best of both worlds. And for those who want an S Pen, they don't want it a separate thing. They don't want it in a case. They don't want it in an accessory. They just want it. And I respect that. I will never use it. But if you give me a Galaxy S22 Ultra that has an S Pen silo and wastes a little bit of space for that S Pen silo with maybe a little bit less battery, I'll take it because I believe that it just makes more sense to have individual, uh, to have a single product instead of individual products that are just slight variations on each other. What I want to see is them actually take advantage of the S Pen for the S series, because I think that if they can make it more consumer friendly and maybe more creator friendly, like, can you imagine if the, if the S Pen now had a microphone where you could use that as a mic and you can just kind of clip it it on and you can do all these different functions for the camera. I mean, that would be really sweet. I think a lot of people say, Oh, now I have a use for this S Pen, not just the writing, which is still cool, right? Because that part of it. Yeah, I mean, there was the remote, but you're right. The, oh my God, having a a lav mic. That would be so sweet. That'd be a, that. I mean, I think that could change the way creators kind of just make stuff, even just on social. It'd just be like, oh, I got better audio now. I'm farther away. I can frame myself differently. But now I got a microphone that kind of integrates it. And Road will be angry. <laughs> <laughs> they might, but man, Samsung would get a lot of pro- I mean, I'm just saying that makes sense. Not just like, hey, we slapped an S Pen in here so, you know, no users can be happy in the presentation. It's kind of like, okay, well, we're rethinking the way that the S Pen could be used. So... I mean, I think it'd be cool. I think it's a good integration. You know we what? don't need two different things. Danny, if they don't do it, if they don't have a microphone in this S Pen, <laughs> you and I start a, a business together. We get some company in Shenzhen to make an accessory right. that fits in the, in the silo. Copyright that's, this That's now, just basically yeah. an S Pen. doesn't maybe have all the features because we can't copy Samsung's IP. But we can add a Bluetooth mic to that little S Pen. And it still would work with the screen active because that's pretty standard now. And yeah. and we sell that as an, an accessory that fits right in the slot. And we're until this. we get sued, but whatever. <laughs> we'll make the money until we get sued, right? <laughs> right. Um, now I just I wow, what a great idea! So hopefully somebody's watching from Samsung. Hi. That'd be cool. Uh, maybe I mean, maybe on the S twenty three because I'm sure the S twenty two, unless it already has it, is not going to be getting that. But look, check out the features, folks. The 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 S twenty two Ultra is looking. Very, very fine. I think that it's not for those of you who have an S21 Ultra, it's not going to be worth upgrading. Yeah, because I think everybody wanted that big 200 megapixel camera in this. And from the leaks, they're saying it's it's the same camera system that you're probably seeing here with some improvements that makes more sense because I can give them a more powerful release later in the year. So, and also be careful what you wish for because every time Samsung comes out with a new sensor, the first phone with it. Is mad. Like, There's some growing pains. You know, the, it, yeah. the S20 Ultra was definitely an example of that. It had like many, I, many problems in the beginning. <laughs> if I remember. The cool thing about that was, I do have to give them respect. It was the same thing with Note 9 as well. Um, they had some gripes with it, but then they improved the software. And that's the one thing I have to say about Samsung too. I don't want to say, people are like, oh, this guy is a Samsung fanboy. But at least that's what Samsung has done right over the years is many, many software uh, updates throughout their, the life of the the camera and the system and everything like that. They've actually become one of the best Android manufacturers for giving you software updates. Yeah. And I never thought in my wildest dreams five years ago that Samsung would be leading this. I mean, it's crazy. No, but they kind of have to because I think part of that's happened here is that 
in the US and the Western markets where Samsung is very strong and is essentially almost monopoly competing with Apple. Apple has shown that you can keep your iPhone for four years. And we reviewers have kind of kept hammering at Samsung saying, look, you've got to get parity with Apple on this. So I think a combination of consumer pressure, media pressure, and competition pressure yeah. has made it that Samsung's there. And then I think, uh, you know, the rise the rise of the Pixel. I would like to say that the Pixel is still a very small player in the market, but it's getting bigger. It's gotten more, even with the Pixel 5 series, which, well, the, the only 5 really there is, because the 5A <laughs> is essentially an A phone. But yeah. with the Pixel 5, which was a bit of a misstep, even then I felt that, We've, I kind of feel like we're seeing more pixels. You know, but we're finally seeing advertising now. Yeah, for the they're finally marketing. They're, Google's yeah. finally marketing this product. That's what they needed. They just didn't market their products forever. No. And unfortunately, sales, you got to put money into it to, to get crowd hype and things like that. So now everywhere I go, in New York, you see Pixel 6 stuff. I know, it's commercials now it's for so Pixel. Good. I mean, it's so kind of crazy. That's good. So I'm glad we're back on Pixel because there's a couple of two things we want to talk about, Russell. Uh, did you see Google's statement on the Pixel 6 fingerprint sensor? That sounds yes, like it seems... the Apple, you're holding your phone wrong. There's Remember no reason the why it should be so slow, um, honestly. I mean, I get security. I get that. But it's like... It, this is not the first in-display fingerprint scanner. They've been doing it. Manufacturers have been doing it for years. So yeah. why why is it that slow? I it think it's a cop-out. I think yeah. it's basically what I was saying. You know, when the iPhone 4 came out, you're holding it wrong. That's, yeah. I think that's totally what they're doing. But like, just keep your finger on it longer. It's for better security. Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Like, I just came from an Oppo Find X3 Pro to my Pixel 6 yeah. Pro. And literally, I look... I mean, I, I'm joking, but I yeah. look at the phone with my it's, finger it's on the screen, instant, yeah. and it's it's unlocked. It's and I don't think it's less secure. I mean, it's a Snapdragon 888 with a you know BBK Group fingerprint sensor in display. It's on Gen five or six by this point. I don't think it's worse or than the Pixels. I don't think Google has a special sauce here. They're not even like since we all know the Pixel six and 6 Pro are essentially Samsung in many ways inside, right? right? Like Samsung uses the ultrasonic sensor from Qualcomm, I believe. They do. And they didn't in this phone. But we know from the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition, they can do an in-display fingerprint sensor that's optical, that's fast and accurate. So Samsung can do it. So I think this is a Google Pixel thing. I think this is a a software thing they need to fix or something. I think you'll just see a pretty big patch come out in the next month or two that's going to dramatically change the way that the Pixel runs now. And I think that's when we need to re-revisit this thing again because it's going to be a different phone two or three months from now than what it is today. 100%. So my experience has been that about half the time I have to tap my finger twice. That's that's yeah. my stats. And it's it's bugging me. It's definitely and the once the times that I only do my finger once, it's slower. So just keep that in mind. So half the time I actually have to do it twice and the other half of the time it once but I need to stay on it a little bit. Yeah, I had to redo my fingerprint a couple read? of times. Yeah. And, and it did help a little okay. bit just because I think it you, you have to really get the edges and stuff like that on there. So you because you know how it is. Sometimes yeah. you kind of change positions. And I think that's where Google's algorithm is kind of messing up because if it's not perfect, it's just going to fail. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the problem. With I that. think it's a software thing. They need to tweak it. And uh, so that's come up this kind of cop-out answer from Google PR or Google, whoever it was. 
I just want to bring it up. Do you think we're going to see a Pixel Fold? There's rumors of a Pixel Fold with the same cameras as the Pixel 5 or 5A or that, 4A. That that I might be disappointed in with when it comes to the camera, but it's not any different than what Samsung's doing right, right. now. And we know that this Fold is probably going to be heavily Samsung again. It's kind of like a more Google, Google-y version of Samsung's Fold, which... Actually, I'm kind of excited about it because you have to think this is going to push foldables forward, right? Yeah. This is going to enable, you know, other manufacturers like Motorola and all these other people to be able to do a foldable now because Samsung's put in so much R&D and so, so much into that software. And yeah. even that's still not perfect. So you have to think about what these other manufacturers have to go through to make a foldable. And I think this, if Google makes a fold now and builds in some software, we're going to see a lot more foldables. And that's where I'll be more excited about it. 100%. And, you know, it's interesting how Samsung and Google are cooperating so much. It started with that, uh, the, the announcement there that Samsung was going to use Wear OS. Yeah. And we got the Watch 4 series. Um, I use the Watch 4 Classic for a bit. The small one, unfortunately, they sent me, which with my giant wrist doesn't work. If you're watching the video right now, I'm wearing yeah. a uh, Huawei Watch GT2 Pro. I have a Watch GT3 as well. They just sent me, but uh, they haven't sent me the new health app to uh that recognizes it so i can't set it up yet and uh, uh, they're, they're trying to find the <laughs> apk for that but Jeez. the point i'm making is that the classic four that i use of watch four classic was too small on my wrist and because it's a smaller one the battery life was a little iffy for my use yeah but um i have to say that it was a really good experience it didn't feel too different from their uh, tyson watches they kind of made it feel kind of a on parody, which was nice. Yet it's running Wear OS, so you get yeah. all the benefits, like you get Google Maps on your watch and all the things you want. Yeah. So I think it's a win-win. But it's interesting how Samsung's using more Google software, and at the same time, we're seeing you know Google using more Samsung hardware. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we ever see a Pixel Watch if it's not a derivative of one, whatever Samsung's doing. Yeah, it's probably going to be. the Right now, Samsung, it's kind of weird because you get like two versions of certain things on a watch, like oh, Fit right. and Google you do, and, I know. And it's kind of a a mess right now but I, I can see that happening I think this is a good partnership though they are working yeah. together Samsung has some of the best hardware I mean and I think if Google can work closely with them I'm actually kind of excited to see where what Google will do with the fold or their fold if they come out with one I just it's interesting because material use so different now and it's just it's a, it's a I don't know I think it could be something good but at the same time it's it's Google so I can see it being you know it's I can be seeing being half-baked you know I mean as you said, they could drive the folding software revolution forward. Yeah. And that's what I'm really hoping Google can bring to the table. In the same way as Material U is, I think, a really nice step forward for Android 12. I want to see kind of that revolution in folding because I have a Z Flip 3. I love it. But it's really only works well for me because when it's open, it's just a normal phone. Yeah. But I haven't used the Z Fold 3 much. I've used the Z Fold 2 last year. And I loved it, but I couldn't, I just couldn't make it my daily driver because the workflow just once open, like it's too much like an Android tablet. Like apps are scaling, a phone apps are scaling, and it just doesn't feel right to me, you know? And then managing the multi window stuff, just I'd rather have, you know, an experience that's familiar. But the reason for that is because there's never been any software optimized for the folding phones from Google. From Google, yeah. It's from always Google. been kind of derivative stuff. So, I mean, I can see this being a big deal. I think I, I, I want to see it. 
Yeah, I, I really do. Um, and I think that if they can bring a clean experience to it, I just don't expect a lot of uh, software to be fold specific yet. There might be some one or two killer things that they do. But if, if they do come out with it, then they're kind of committed. And that's what I want to see. Yeah, I think that honestly, I think this is good news. Even if the cameras are going to be the last year's cameras, like you expect that. Like there are too many hardware compromises to be made to put that giant 50 megapixel sensor with it crazy z depth and i i want to see that but i also think that you cannot think of the folding phone as a flagship as much as you think of it as a folding alternative to a pixel product yeah. and it's the same even even the fold 3 doesn't have the best cameras i mean it has really good cameras but it's not the best yeah. camera i think samsung will do it first oh yeah because once they bring this lens to or that that camera system to the fold if it's fold four yeah and you bring this same s21 camera set up to there now we're talking yeah and it's gonna i think another year for sure like maybe 2022 in fact with the z fold four i I don't think the z flip is gonna get it right away because it's not the kind of it's a fashion product it's not a photography product um you talked about the vivo x70 pro plus they sent me the pro which is the mediatek dimensity 1200 yes. version still has the folded lens still has the gimbal yep. but i think it's slightly less in the camera department as well unfortunately they didn't have any pro pluses do you know if the you said the vivo x70 pro plus has a custom isp yes. does the non plus version have that too i think so yes if i'm not mistaken so i I should really play with it (laughs) yeah it's um i think there's a couple things about vivo that i really like um during the day i think it it takes great photos as well but the zeiss the the whole zeiss color thing doesn't make a giant difference to me no it does have a little bit of maybe like less toned colors but um i think it's nighttime where vivo takes a lot of really cool stuff it's not 100% 100% all the time that it's the best but one thing I love about the whole auto mode thing is it does do like night mode automatically but it's literally like a one second exposure right like every time and and the results are pretty fantastic so I also have the X60 Pro Plus from last year well from yeah. earlier this year like they did two in a year um, and I was really impressed I don't think that has a custom ISP but I need to look it up yeah. I every time so I also had the Vivo 50 X50 Pro from the year before and every single one of those gimbal phones has blown me away in camera I think I, I actually when the X50 Pro X50 Pro came out and I mentioned it in the podcast I think it was one of my top five camera phones of 2020 just because yeah. of the versatility and you know that dedicated portrait lens even though it doesn't have OIS it's just really nice to take portraits of people with. And then yeah. you've got the crazy folded lens, which everybody nice likes to have a nice telephoto. Yeah. Then the gigantic main sensor. Now on the X50 Pro Plus, the main sensor was on the gimbal. On the X60 Pro Plus, it was on the ultra-wide. ultra-wide. And now it's on mine, the 70 Pro Non Plus, the gimbal's back on the main sensor. What is it like? I on think yours? on the on the Pro Plus, I it's think on it's the on ultra the ultra wide. wide. Yeah. Um, but it, it all three lenses are optically stabilized. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is the telephoto the portrait lens stabilized as well? Because yeah, I think so. oh, yeah. good. I think I think it's all the all first time they did it because yeah. in the past that the two X that Vivo and BBK Group sometimes use on some non-Vivo phones as well, they have this one two X lens that they use for just portraits, 
that it's not stabilized. And I'm just like, oh, such a miss. Yeah. So I have to zoom in to 1.9 on the main sensor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> It's a solid system this year. It's really solid. Are they still using that 50 megapixel Samsung sensor? I think so, yeah. I think it's GN2. GN2, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good sensor as well, but I think processing wise, video is the, the miss. Um, you think that the gimbal would be perfect for video, right? That's the use it's the case. HDR for me. I was testing it yesterday, just going against the Pixel. So I'm doing that comparison right now. And Ooh, it's just, interesting yeah. comparison. Yeah. Nobody else is doing that one. I think it's a it's a neat comparison just because I think people want to see it. Because, you know, Vivo is not really popular no. in our side of uh, the market. But, but in Asia. Worldwide. And, yeah. and I think the pricing on the Vivo is a little tough. Because from what I heard, the Vivo is quite expensive in India. And Does it have wireless charging now? That's one of the things yeah. that's always been missing. See, that's the thing. They finally did it with that phone because the, the X60 Pro Plus did not have wireless charging. The X, yeah, I think it's got wireless charging. The X50 neither. So they, they kind of always missed a bit. I like that they're smaller phones too. Like, yeah, and it's a really nice looking phone. That's another thing. It has the, the leather back, right? Yeah, and it's like, well, it's got a case that's got the leather on it. And it, no. just, I, it just looks like, I don't know, it just looks like a like an executive type phone. It looks really classy. And I think that's good. I still don't like curved screens. So that's one of yeah. the things. Curved screens to me is it's dead to me. Like I just don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore, but at the same time, I do appreciate on big phones that it does make them a little bit narrower. It does, and it, it, I think it gives it the sleek look, but man, I just I think I'm just done with curved screen. So. <sighs> I feel the same way. But look, Vivo is doing some good stuff. I will let you know, folks, on uh, you know next few podcasts how I feel about this non-Pro Plus version, the regular Pro of the X60. Maybe I can get an X60 Pro Plus at some point, but uh, keep an eye on Danny's YouTube channel for some more content on that. I think you should pay attention. If you're a camera person, Vivo has really done some good stuff with this gimbal system and their cameras in the last year and a half with the X50, X60, X70 series. And uh, we got a bunch of news items here. I just want to look at them real quick. Oh, so yeah, Poco came out with a new M series phone. Last year, the Poco M3 Pro 5G was a really like spec heavy or good yeah. value for the money phone. And that wasn't even last year. I think that was maybe earlier, earlier this, this year. year. Yeah, maybe like, it was earlier. And this so year. now we have a Poco M4 Pro 5G. <laughs> it's just getting it's, <laughs> it's out of control. It's getting crazy. And so basically it just seems to be an update. Uh, in some way it's a downgrade because they look like I have a lot of lenses in the back. But it's all fake. It's only um, two, right? There's only really two. There's an yeah. ultra wide, which is a, a kind of a crappy eight megapixel, and then there's a fifty megapixel. Um, that's the interesting thing. So it's gone from, I think it was a sixty-four or forty-eight before to uh, the newer fifty megapixel sensor, and still no OIS. I mean, it's a two hundred twenty-nine euro phone. Okay? Yeah, so that's what we got to look so, at. Pricing, but big battery. 90 hertz LCD, 1080p, so no, I mean, OLED would be better in my opinion. And, you know, for just 50 or so dollars more, you can buy a Xiaomi or Redmi or Poco phone with an OLED display, 120 hertz. Yeah. So it's not like, it's, it's, I think next year, like it's getting close. I, I will take, um, I'll take a, a, a 120 hertz. Uh, OLED over 90 hertz LCD any day. But look, for that price, I think yeah. the specs are solid. And I think it's Dimensity 810 5G. So that's uh, one of their uh, kind of mid range, uh, yeah, I would say low mid range chips on the yeah. 5G spectrum. And um, I mean, you know, it's kind of crazy to see, you know, that that you're seeing a diversity in chipsets right now. And you see MediaTek really coming into the market now because 
We're seeing other phones with uh, MediaTek processors. It was so Qualcomm heavily dominated for a long time. And I think mm-hmm. this chip shortage thing kind of really helped. It really helped them out, and which is good because the performance is good too. I mean, I'm excited about their pipeline as well. They seem to be doing very well. Yeah, their camera, look, this is the thing. I Even the M3 non-pro last year, which is just essentially one sensor that was useful, uh, 48 megapixel, was taking good photos with like some 4G chip. I think it wasn't a MediaTek. It was like maybe a Snapdragon 660 or something. Or like we're talking like not even like anything fancy at all. I think Xiaomi in general has their imaging pipeline sorted from the bottom of the barrel all the way to the high end now. Yeah. And no matter what sensor they're using, no matter what chip they're using, and the consistency they're able to achieve like between their MediaTek and their Qualcomm cameras, like like ISP-driven cameras, yeah. is really impressive. i give you an example. The Xiaomi 11T is a MediaTek Dimensity 1200, and the T... Pro Pro is an 888, and that's the only difference between those two phones. And the fastest speed of charging, the Pro has a crazy 120 watt charging. You can't, the cameras are the same, and you take photos, and they're the same. And you're like, how how did they manage that with different ISPs? It's really impressive to me. And so, this is a you know, 20, 20 euros more gets you a six gig, 128 gig version instead of four gig, 64. You get micro SD, you get stereo speakers. You get 33 watt charging, 5,000 milliamp hour battery, 90 hertz LCD, 1080p, 50 megapixel main sensor, and yeah, and it's a lot, man. That's it's a lot. a lot for that money. Um, but you, again, you at $300, like so, 50 or $60 more, you can get the Poco X3 GT, which has a MediaTek Dimensity 1100 and has also has a 90 hertz uh, uh, LCD but it has a 64 megapixel sensor. So, you know, like they're really, like I'm amazed at how Xiaomi is literally like $20 more, you get this, $20 yeah. more, you get that. It's really tight with their... The pricing. Note series though, the Note 11, the Redmi Notes. So the Redmi Note 11, which just came out, 11 Pro, and the uh, Redmi Note 10 Pro, previously to that, earlier this year, give you 120 hertz AMOLED, mm. and you only get a 4G chip, I think it was a Snapdragon 732G, but you get a 108 megapixel sensor and you get that five megapixel macro with autofocus yeah. and an eight megapixel ultra wide for less than 300 bucks. Yeah, that's a, I mean, Qualcomm has some really good chips in that range. Does that seven, the 700 series is great. Just blows my mind yeah. what Xiaomi can deliver for the money. You know, yeah, you don't get 5G on that Note 10 Pro and the Note 11 Pro is now replacing that, but you still get like such value for the money. Like, I would honestly pick. The Note 10 Pro from Redmi or the Note 11 Pro from Redmi over this Poco M4 Pro 5G and drop the 5G. Right. Simply because, I mean, because you get an AMOLED. You get 120 hertz AMOLED. But in that market, do you really, is 5G really that important? Exactly. It's that not. That's my no, point. Because yeah. it's yeah. just, you really don't need that. And then uh, the other phone that was announced this week is the Nokia X100 for T-Mobile here in the US. That phone, I think came out before, or maybe I'm wrong, but it seems familiar to me, maybe because all Nokias look the same they right now. <laughs> but um, the it's $252. It's a 5G phone with a 1080p display. It's an LCD like a lot of the uh, the Nokias. Um, but 6 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage, micro SD, Snapdragon 480 5G processor. Mm, not too bad, but kind of bottom of the barrel in terms of you know, 5G 
it's going to do what it what you need it to do, but it's like yeah. You know, uh, 44 70 milliamp hour battery. I don't think it charges very fast though. But the nice news is here's the thing if you're a T Mobile customer, yeah. you're looking for an affordable phone, you need 5G on T Mobile. The reality is you kind of need 5G on T Mobile. Right. And sub six is kind of everywhere. And I think that's what this is yeah. limited to, obviously. Correct. So yeah. if we're talking 5G, the sub six is what you And you get a headphone jack, like you get a headphone jack <laughs> on the Poco as well, which is nice. Nice. But I think this is, of all the Nokias I've seen recently, I feel this is a good deal because I feel like Nokia has always been a little overpriced for what they've been delivering, especially since they're really mostly shipping Qualcomm Snapdragon 400 lately, mm-hmm. like almost on everything, yeah. which I'm not a huge fan of. Like They could have, they probably, probably could have gone up a tier class on the processor, I think, but... I mean, that's not why these processes are made on purpose I know, to, right? to, to drive the prices down. And I think where the killer thing is going to come is it's $252 now. But can you imagine the holiday oh, sales and yeah. everything else? Yeah. I might better pick this thing up for 200 bucks or 175 or something. Then it's just like a... I know. Awesome. So if you're looking for cheap phones, the other one that I talked about on the podcast recently, like uh, last time I was in New York, actually, we're in New York right now. Last time I was in New York was the Revel, whatever, the Revel phone, the fi- the $200 5G phone that's made oh, by a third-party company. T-Mobile thing. Yeah, the T-Mobile one. And, you know, in the past, either Moto or TCL made those phones for them. But this year, it's made by who knows yeah, what, know. some company in Hong Kong, apparently, that's obviously based in Shenzhen for the manufacturing. But what's cool about it, it's $200. You get 5G on a Dimensity, I think I want to say a 700 or an 800 or something. And you get, like, relatively decent package, actually. The cameras don't stink, but I feel like, you know, relatively speaking, it's... um correctable using Google Photos. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. need to get a camera and you're like, eh, but you tweak it just a little bit. You don't have to go too crazy and it comes out good. That's exactly what this little <laughs> Revel does. And for the money, it has NFC, so you do Apple, uh, Google Pay, I mean, you get a whole bunch of options, which I think I really like. You know, Great first phones for, you know, like people, kids and things like that because that's, that's what you need. You can't, Give your kids an iPhone all the time, even though people do. Can you? Can you not? You I don't can. know. That's the question. In my household, maybe, but not, <laughs> not other households. You give hands, hand-me-downs, I think, is what a lot of people are doing. Yeah. But right? these these little, I think these little, uh, pre, the prepay market is still bigger than we think it is. And I think that's where maybe I am. I sometimes need to readjust because I always think in flagships mid-range. But these are also very important phones for the market because people need that affordable phone in for business and B2B, all these different things that we don't think about. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, look, I think this tier of affordable 200-ish dollar phones that have 5G, some of them have 5G, some of them don't, but they all have like, we're starting to see a push, right? There, I think there's other phones coming from Moto in the future too. I'm hearing rumors where you're going to see, you know, high refresh rate displays, even though they're LCDs, but you're going to see high megapixel count, not, not like, you know, crazy, but the latest sensors, like not the 48 megapixels that have been around forever, but like the newer 50 megapixel sensors that have better light sensitivity and all that. You're starting to see those sensors trickle down to the $200 price point. You're starting to see like this Poco shows. You're starting to see like, you know, high refresh rate displays, you know, sometimes at 720, but sometimes at 1080 even. And you're starting to see 5G on some like Snapdragon 480s and MediaTek chipsets. And you're starting to see, you know, stereo speakers, but they keep the headphone jack, really large batteries, all combined in these phones that cost, you know, very little. And I think this is good because I feel like you can buy almost any phone and be happy today because of that. Right. I mean, the, I, 
looking back five years ago, we would have never thought that you can get a sub $300 phone with all of this stuff in it now. It's kind of crazy. And that's, I think that's where the flagship market is kind of hurting because how, how much, like, you know, if I'm shelling out another thousand dollars, what are you giving me for that thousand bucks? And, you know, we, maybe we can discern a lot of that, but for the regular customer, a mid range would fit them just fine. I mean, I would dare to say that if that, that Poco M4 Pro 5G, that camera system, just based, I, I have the phone. I haven't had a chance to try it out yet. Uh, my unboxing video is live on my YouTube, but I haven't, like, it's still sitting on my desk in San Francisco. I need to take it for a spin. I would bet that that phone's imaging performance will blow away any budget or mid-range phone from two years ago. Yeah, probably. So if you're coming fast. from a phone, like, say, uh, you went to Metro PCS two years ago and you bought a phone that was $300 yeah. and now you're going to buy this phone. Like, I mean, this is not a Metro PCS phone, but you see yeah. where to buy this phone. You get 5G, which you didn't have, and you get a b way better camera system and you're paying actually a little less money. Yeah. And you're getting a 90 Hertz refresh and you get rate, 90 which, is, refresh. which is a difference. I mean, refresh rate does make a difference. I mean, one 90, I think is perfect for mid range and hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it works well. And I think it's good too because those LCD, IPS, whatever displays, when you enable high refresh on them, you can kind of see, I mean, it's smoother, but you also get a lot of kind of smearing. Yeah. Um, I, you don't get it on the AMOLEDs, but you get it on the LCDs. I don't know why, for whatever reason. Yeah, the ghosting, yeah. You the get ghosting, it yeah. It's weird because, Quality you know, it's panel. worse at 120. So I'm kind of glad they're limiting the LCDs to 90. Because yeah. you remember that Moto Edge 2021 with the 144 LCD? Oh, it's so smeary. <laughs> I'm like, I think why did you bother? <laughs> I think sometimes, uh, you know, you're trying to chase the specs and it just doesn't make sense. So I think that, you know, I'd rather have a well-executed 90 versus... hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I think, I think Moto is learning. I, I'm hoping that next year the Edge series will be a proper flagship again. It seems like they are, though. You know, they, they seem they to are. be listening. Yeah. And, and that's what we need from a company, right? They need to listen to the customer feedback and, and other people that use their phones and to make the best product. And I think they're on the right track. And I think they're doing still very good in the mid-range and the budget with the G-Series. It's interesting, too, how I think the G-Series, like, they just launched a G-Pure, which I sent me two weeks ago. I haven't had time. I mean, it's so low <laughs> end. I'm not going to – I don't think I'm even going to bother. Too many phones. Man. 720p display at 60 hertz. This one's really cheap, $169, right? But my point is that – you. Look Look at the G range and they're not even using the E numbering. You know, the Moto E was yeah. the entry. Like, I think that we're seeing G phones that are literally in Moto E territory now. And I think we're seeing the G200 abroad that is like stretching into the Moto Edge, you know, Moto 1 kind of range. Yeah. I really think that's smart because their G line is really kind of like their thing. And yeah. they're stretching that, which I think is smart. So... I think we're going to see more G phones. Stay tuned for that. And I'm really looking forward to Moto doing a proper flagship next Man, year. Man, I need to see a flagship from them. Plus, we need another Razor, right? Yeah. Uh, it's time for another Razor. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you got your work cut out, Moto. Nanny, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, like your social media handles and stuff? Sure. So uh, YouTube is just uh, youtube.com slash Danny Winjet. And then everything social is at Super Scientific. So Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, yeah. if you actually want to. Oh, Meta now, if you want to use that. But, um, <laughs> You're in the Metaverse? No. Is that where we can find you? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be an interesting topic as well, just because Meta, crypto, there's so much oh stuff my God. there. It's just that's a I whole know. unpack thing on its own. So I a, just have so many thoughts on that. But uh, for another <laughs> podcast, folks, 
You know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankgirl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. If you want to chat with us about this podcast, please do on Twitter, you know. And then uh, go to my Instagram for some pretty pictures of phones, pretty pictures of cars, pretty pictures taken with phones of cars. <laughs> it's all meta. Uh, funny. Anyway, check out my Instagram. And then uh, you know where the podcast lives, folks, at mobiletechpodcast.com. You can, of course, subscribe on all the big platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, we're everywhere. So if you just follow Danny here for the first time, please consider uh, subscribing. It'd be great. And uh, there's a couple of YouTube channels you should uh, subscribe to as well. YouTube.com slash mobile tech podcast and YouTube.com slash mobile tech more. The main channel is really all the video content that goes with this podcast. All these phones we just discussed, including that Revel phone from T-Mobile, you'll find unboxing videos on the YouTube channel. I do do lots of unboxing so you can see the phones and then you can listen to the show to get my opinions. It's kind of like how it works. And then the Mobile Tech More channel is a new channel my producer and I have been working on that has a lot of the kind of, again, meta content around mobile. So we're doing things like accessories, you know, battery packs, home automation, car tech, travel tech. So I got a keyboard on that channel. You'll see it's also on the main channel, but it's like a company out of Hong Kong sent me a replacement keyboard for my iMac. And it's very shallow, like it's kind of like the iMac keyboard, but it's mechanical keys. They're opto-mechanical. So, you know, they have the clickety feel, but they're a little deeper, but not too deep. They're not like the big clunky gaming keyboard kind of deal. Is it the key cards? uh, it's Vest something. Oh, company. okay. I think I know what you're I, talking about. Yeah. Anyway, it's got RGB LEDs and mm-hmm. it's Bluetooth cool or USB-C wired. It's really nice. So these are the kind of things you'll find on the, the second channel. And so please subscribe to both channels, like the videos, comment in the comments, you know, click the notification bell, the usual stuff. YouTube, you know how it works. And then, uh, of course, you know, if you are subscribed to the podcast on your app, please rate the podcast or review the podcast. It helps other people find the show. Yeah. So I also want to talk about Patreon. I have a Patreon now since June. So that's been exciting. Patreon.com slash Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. We've got a bunch of tiers there. You know, there's a Discord server you can join if with one of the tiers. So you can chat with me. There is, most importantly, a video version of this podcast. That's why we kept mentioning Galaxy S21 Ultra because it's staring right at us right now for the video recording. And if you want to see the podcast on video ahead of time, like a couple of days usually before the public audio version comes out, unedited, raw, with all the mistakes, you know, on video, that's your chance to do that. So consider joining the Patreon. I want to thank, I think a French person joined this week, Michel. Uh, the last name is starts with a V. I want to appreciate you for being a new patron. Thanks so much for joining. And folks, uh, you know, consider joining Patreon. If you don't like Patreon, I get it. You know, if you want to contribute financially, we have a PayPal link in the show notes. So you can check that out as well. And I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with us since the very beginning. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is where you can get a 30-day free trial and you get to keep a book whether you stay or not. I think you'll stay because it's so good. Basically, if you like books like I do and you like to read, but maybe you don't have time to read or maybe you're always on the go or traveling or whatever, listening might be easier than reading. So that's what Audible really delivers. They have a great collection of books and they have a ton of books read by the authors. That's my favorite, really. Mm. And then, you know, the other thing is epic things. You know, like you read for 10 hours. Of course, you're not going to do it all in one sitting. So it kind of feels like a book you read 
read two hours, you put it aside. You're, in this case, you listen in two hours, you put it aside, listen another two hours. I kind of love that kind of like looking forward to the next part of your book, you know. And then they have some short content. If you don't want to get too involved, there is some uh, podcasts even. So they have a whole collection of audio content, uh, book content. AudibleTrial.com slash MobileTech. Check it out. Uh, help us help them. And we want to thank Audible for being our longtime sponsor. And Danny, thanks. No, thanks for having me on. It's fun. For being my guest. Yeah. It's so good to have you on. Yeah, it's been a while. So. I know. We'll have you on again at some point, obviously. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.